more and more. I find it to be a privilege to be able to share the word with you, and I'm glad to be able to do that this morning again. Let's draw near to the Lord in prayer and ask that His word may be a blessing to us. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that for Jesus' sake, by the blessing of your Spirit who anointed your Son so that he might accomplish all things in the days in which he came and as he continually intercedes for us now. May your blessing so be upon us so that we may receive your word in faith and that you would accomplish what you set out to do with your word this morning, read and ministered. We ask that you'd hear us in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to be taking a look at taking taking a look at Luke chapter four out of the New Testament. Luke chapter four. We got the Gospels there. There, of course, Matthew, Mark, and then the third Gospel, Luke and John. But we're looking at Luke chapter four, verses fourteen through thirty. And then we're also going to be considering part of one of our uh, confessional standards, which is Lord's Day 12, that deals with the Apostles' Creed, and particularly our, our belief in Jesus as Christ. And if you want to look at that in a moment with us, that's on page 18, or 19, I should say, in the back of the blue hymnal. We're first of all going to be reading from the Word of God from Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 14. These words we read there from the Word of God. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out to all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came up to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three, days, three years and six months, and great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time, in the time of the prophet Elisha. None of them were, was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the, 
brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Grateful for God's word, we take a moment to respond to it. I'm going to read from that uh, anointed area there about Christ, about Christians in Lord's Day 12. And if you'd like to follow along, again, page 19. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And tonight, today our focus is on this, to be our chief prophet and teacher who perfectly reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God for our deliverance. Our only high priest who has set us free by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually pleads our cause with the Father. And our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit and who guards us and keeps us in the freedom he has won for us. And question 32 asks, but why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. May the truth of God's word be a blessing to us today. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, our as uh, as we've seen before, the last time we were together in the morning, it's very easy to misidentify Jesus Christ and, and, and to misidentify Jesus or have him mean nothing to us. But certainly to misidentify what his name means, that his name means Savior, that it saves his people from their sins. But here again we find as we're looking at his title, Messiah of Christ, Jesus as the anointed, that title can also be misunderstood or, or, or ignored altogether. Some may view it as, as nothing more than a surname, a family name, a last name that does nothing else than to, to clarify, to identify who he is among others who are also named Jesus. I mean, that's one of the things, right? When Somebody you see, you know, they say, well, I know John. Well, John who? Oh, John Smith, John Doe, John, oh, that John. And some look at Jesus here as, as merely identified as one called Christ so we can differentiate him from somebody else. But when we see his name, not merely as a, and not really at all as a surname, but as a title. And when we take that title seriously in faith, then we will further see the uniqueness of Jesus. And the calling there is for us not only to profess this Christ, but then also to follow him as Christians, that that's our ultimate calling. So this morning we're going to be taking a look at the first of the three ways when, it, when we're thinking about what it means to profess Jesus as the Christ, to profess Jesus as Christ, to be Christians as Christians, and how to be reflections of Christ as Christians. The three ways of professing Christ, of course, include Christ as prophet, priest, and king, 
but this morning we're just going to be focusing on Christ as chief prophet, and, and then on how we're called to reflect Christ as Christians prophetically. So we want to focus, first of all, here, then as we're looking on that whole subject about Christ as prophet, we're focusing on Christ as chief prophet that we profess. We hear that Christ means anointed when we read from the catechism. It explains that. That biblical truth is brought to bear in our passage this morning where we read, as Jesus reads from Isaiah 61, uh, these words in verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Lord has anointed Jesus to be all the things of which that passage speaks, and more, actually, if you go over to Isaiah 61. When it comes to the anointing of Jesus, then we find that all three persons of the Trinity are involved. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed Christ, has anointed Jesus. It's the Father who ordains His Son, and it's in the power of the Holy Spirit who rests on Jesus in a unique way. Of course, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were anointed, and they were anointed for consecrated service to God. And when that was done, they used to use oil. Why did they use oil? It was a symbol of the power of the Spirit resting on the individual, empowered with authority to carry out that particular calling that that person had. And for the prophet, that calling was to speak the word of God to the people. Perhaps calling them to repentance, that happened. Perhaps predicting matters that were to come in the near future, or maybe that were going to happen centuries uh, later. The prophetic word could be a word of hope and consolation to a people that had been enslaved physically and spiritually. They were words of good news. They were even words of miraculous healing. Now, what made the anointing of Jesus different? Well, what made it different is, as we see in the chapter previously, that nobody before him actually had the manifestation of the Spirit displayed so vividly and graphically as he did, as the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and lights upon Jesus. In Luke 3.22, we hear that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You're, You are my beloved Son, with you... I am well pleased. See, he wasn't anointed with a symbol of the Holy Spirit. He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that's not foreign to Scripture. Luke, when he writes his second edition in Acts chapter 10, speaks about that very same thing in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Uh, that was when he was uh, spending time with uh, Cornelius, and as he was there, and he was talking to them about the talking to him and his household about the gospel. In chapter ten, verse thirty-eight, he had said this to them. Uh, and, and looking even before that, he said in verse thirty-six, "As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's Lord of all." 
You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Actually, Isaiah 45, verse 7 speaks to this too, and I, I can turn there a moment to you and, and and you can hear this, this is something that's also in Hebrews chapter 1. In, Hebrew, in the Psalm 45, verse 7, well, even in uh, verse 6 you hear, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companion. Oil of gladness is a terminology that's used in Isaiah 61, which Jesus himself quoted, that he came to give the oil of gladness to those who mourn. Anyway, the point is, is that this unique display spoke to the very thing of which, of which Jesus would explain to his hometown people in Nazareth. In these words that you've heard, they are now fulfilled. They're, they're fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was the anointed of the Lord in a unique way. And he would be the one who is going to fulfill all the offices of the Old Testament past, all the festivals of the past, in his coming and in his work. These words are now fulfilled in your hearing through Christ through his coming. And here in this passage out of, out of in Luke chapter 4, what we're hearing here is Jesus focusing on his prophetic calling. Because he's going to be the one who proclaims good news. He is going to proclaim freedom to the captives. He is going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He will grant the oil of gladness. We don't hear that in this passage, but it comes out of Isaiah 61. The year of the Lord's favor, of course, was the year of Jubilee. It was the Sabbath of Sabbath. It was the sabbatical year of sabbatical years. It, was, it happened once every 50 years. And what happened then was transformation, of course. There was uh, this was a time when servants were liberated, uh, debts were uh, released, they were forgiven. People would be released from their servitude. It was a joyous time. And so Jesus is saying right now, this, this climactic liberation, this Sabbath of Sabbaths, this rest, this peace, this beneficial transformation, it occurs in my coming. I'm the one who gives rest. And through God the Father, empowered by the Spirit, I, the Christ, have been given that prophetic task to now proclaim the arrival of that liberating sabbatical good news and the authority to accomplish it and provide it. Christ, Christ proclaims the arrival of this sabbat these sabbatical acts of God as the Christ who's going to carry out those sabbatical acts of God. 
He has authority to declare them as prophet as the one who also has the authority and the ability to accomplish them as priests. And so what had been hidden before is now revealed. What was previously uh, what had has previously not happened is now happening. These times of Christ are what God had long promised. And so, so through Christ, God is revealing the ultimate reason for joy. Good news of great joy, of gladness, peace, of jubilee. And if you think about it, you know, you think about the Christmas story that we call, we call it the Christmas story, right? Where the angels come and they come to shepherds who are afraid, who don't know peace. And they're terrified. And, and the angels say, don't be afraid. And why is that? He says, they say, it's because we have tidings of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day a Savior. And who is he? He's Christ, the Lord. Jubilee had arrived. Jubilee would mean the deliverance of God's people from their sinful bondage and rest for their souls by God's Christ. No longer in tight. But in reality, you know, people like talking about getting real today. Sometimes, you know, you're watching something on, if you're watching something on television or you're, you're hearing people talking and they, they talk real hip and they talk real, uh, you know, like they're really with it. And, and they say, boy, now you're getting real, man. Sometimes I always, sometimes, sometimes I wonder if people are really getting real or not when they're talking, however they're talking, but that's what people will say. But, uh, God was getting real in the coming of Christ. Real freedom, real peace. This prophet then needed to be heeded. He needed to be believed for the praise of God. That's still true today. Because he's declaring something real that he would do that people needed. You know, Scripture fills our minds and our hearts with anticipations of this Christ. Moses would say in Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, and it is to him you shall listen. Hebrews 1 says, in previous days God spoke to us in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken spoken to us by way of his son. See, what makes his word so fulfilling and final is because this prophetic Christ was going to do and give something that no other anointed one could ever give or do. What he was proclaiming, what he was accomplishing, what he was giving never really happened before. It was promised. It was typical but it was always pointing to the one who would actually do it. Like Jesus would pro prophetically proclaim to the two on the Emmaus road, interpreting to them in all the scriptures beginning from Moses and all the prophets the things concerning himself. 
because it was all pointing to him. He was the one who was going to do it. Really do it. That anointing authorizes Jesus, the chief prophet of God and the chief teacher. Anything else that would be taught or prophesied for that matter would need to be in accordance with that chief prophet. And since he's the chief prophet, any who would seek to go against that prophet wouldn't be a prophet at all. He's the word of God. He's the word made flesh. He reveals to his world by his word, by his acts, and by who he is as God incarnate, the Christ, the God, that God, that God was the great liberator. He's the one that reveals this. He's the great transformer. He's the great pro, uh, savior that he promised to be. And all the other prophets before him were proclaiming this prophet's coming. All other prophets, while picturing Christ in that they revealed God's word, could not be the revelation of God that only God the Son incarnate Jesus Christ could be. And this then is in part why we profess, we rest in, we trust in, we're called to profess Jesus as the Christ, or at least why we're called to make that profession and trust in Him for salvation. We're called to do that. To turn our lives around because His Word is prophetically supreme and true. And part of that, uh, how that trans uh, transformation has its impact, of course, is that when we profess Christ to transform us, that very profession is part of the way that we reflect the prophetic Christ as followers of Christ, as Christians. In proclaiming Christ as, as followers of Christ, as Christians, in proclaiming Christ as the great prophet, we find ourselves being prophetic in making this profession of his name. We profess the truth. That's what prophets do. And in our passage, that's not what Christ's hometown people did. That's not the response to Christ's prophetic declaration. What we hear in response is, but this, isn't this just Joseph's son? Isn't this just Joseph or Jesus Ben Joseph? He's just ordinary Jesus. Of course, in the previous chapter, right after his anointing, we would read of Jesus genealogy, that when he began his anointed ministry at 30, an age of consecration for ministry, by the way, it says he was the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. Well, he wasn't just the son of Joseph, Jesus ben Joseph. He is Jesus, the Christ of God, the son of God. It's not enough for us to say that we believe in Jesus or believe in a Jesus we're called to find our comfort in that we believe in Jesus the Christ. Such a profession is not happening in his hometown. You would think that of, that of all places where people would know Jesus, it'd be in his hometown. But familiarity breeds contempt and nowhere greater than in this situation that Jesus Christ faces. It's one thing for, for people to appreciate that Jesus was a hometown boy. But it was another thing to respect his office, to, to acknowledge him. Not just as Joseph's son, but as God's son, 
as, and as God's Son, God's anointed, God's Christ. Jesus would, would speak about this. He would dialogue about this in a couple chapters later with his disciples in chapter 9, verse 18. Uh, he says this, Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, "What? Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Not one of the old prophets. The Christ. The prophet that the prophets we're anticipating. That the people in Israel, in Nazareth, would not profess. That denial of Christ rather than a profession of him became a, a reflection of previous prophetic crises. People would not listen to Elijah in the days of Ahab in Israel. So God's word went to the Gentiles. The prophetic word of Elijah cleansed, but it didn't cleanse the Israelites, it cleansed Naaman, the Syrian. I mean, you'd think that those who presumably knew better and would, would profess Jesus as the Christ, but, but we know that's not always the case. People hear about the gospel all the time. And you'd say, well, they know better. And you'd say, how could they miss this? They know what the truth says. They know what the gospel says. But just because you know what it says doesn't mean you believe what it says. It's not familiarity that makes the difference unto a profession of faith. If that were the case, then Jesus would have done many miracles and many would have acknowledged him to be who he proclaimed himself to be. It takes grace, doesn't it? And that's a humbling thing for us because that's true for any one of us who makes that profession. But such a profession is one that we are called to make. And when we do, then one of the things we're doing then is we're, we're reflecting the Christ who proclaims salvation as, as we proclaim Christ as the prophetic Savior of our lives. But that prophetic profession comes in many forms. We ought to be willing to make that profession so that we might take up a fullness of membership within the church of Jesus Christ. That's a prophetic call. But it also shows itself when, we're, when we've got this desire in our hearts to worship the Lord every Lord's Day. That's a prophetic calling. It happens when we partake of, of, of the communion. Supper, where we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We're to take joy in worshiping the Lord, not because of you know what what how it is that we package worship, but because of the prophetic message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know, it also shows itself as we honor that name in everything that we do, and certainly as we find ourselves proclaiming that name in our home. 
with those with whom we are most familiar. But also as we teach others in the church of Jesus Christ, to be sure, but also outside of its walls. But on this day of infant baptism, this calling to be prophetic gives us opportunity to draw our attention to our home. You know, one of the things that makes Christian parents worthy of honor is when they see themselves and are seen as prophetic in their home. As parents, we often entrust others to help with the instruction of our children, and that's all right. But one of the honorable things about Christian parenthood is the instruction that we can give to our children from infancy on. We heard about that last week, about how Timothy experienced that. That from childhood, he heard about the sacred writings in his home. Not in some program that somebody set up, in their home. Parents teach. They don't just abdicate that to somebody else. They teach the importance of prayer. There are examples of prayer in their home. They, they teach the importance about being together as a family around the word of the Lord, especially at a time when it is so difficult to spend time together as a family at all. Think about how that goes on in our society, about how much time people are able to spend as a family. Parents need the time to teach their children about right and wrong, about faith and unbelief, about what's honorable and what is not. Parents teach by being willing to discipline and with verbal correction. They teach by being a good example to their children so that they can look up to their parents and say, I want to be like them. And as parents, we need to teach our children that what we're following is something that they ought to follow too. They teach by showing children practical things, how to, how to cut paper and, and how to write and how to draw. And how they can be of help around the house as they serve. Can I help with something, Mom? Absolutely. Let me show you what. That's prophetic. You can sing to your children. Even if you don't sing well, they'll think you're the greatest singer there is when you sing to them. And when you read to them, Parents can be there when their children need their counsel and their wisdom and their experience, especially at a time when society has no time for parents to teach their kids anything. And all that teaching is prophetic. When it's taught in the name of the Lord. And that's what makes parents worthy of honor. Not what they do, not what they own. Not where they live, but what they teach. Like their Savior taught them. To put their trust in Christ and to reflect Him as the chief prophet and teacher of His people. Because in that teaching, by the Spirit's blessing, it brings lasting. 
lasting change to people's lives. Salvation, rest, order, direction, liberty. Yeah, that's the importance of being a parent. It's a prophetic position. We can't abdicate that. Well, may we draw our spiritual comfort from this Christ ordained by the Father, anointed with the Spirit who reveals God's salvation and spiritual freedom like nobody could as the chief prophet. And may we find that comfort by being prophetic ourselves and professing Jesus the Christ professing that name in worship to our families and to the world around us. Because Christ the prophet has come and he's come to make a life-saving difference in people's lives. And that's good news. Amen. Let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Father, we are grateful for the coming of Christ and, and what He has come to proclaim and what He has come to accomplish. A transforming, life-changing, beneficial blessing to those who receive it by faith. May we pay attention to the prophet and may we find ourselves reflecting him in our homes, in our worship, in our prayers, in our, our discussions with others so that we may not only profess Christ but we and be followers that way, but reflect Him in all the ways possible uh, with an honorable life. We pray that you'd accept our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.